everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the And Also podcast. My name is Madison and I am your host. So today's episode is super exciting. I know I say that every time, but honestly, every person I get to talk to is just honestly such an honor and such a vulnerable conversation. And I'm just super grateful to be able to share this with you. So today I'm interviewing Heather Strouder and we'll get more into her story in our topic in a bit. So before we get started, of course, let's start off with our drink of the day. If you're watching on YouTube, definitely comment below what you are drinking along with the show. Today, our guest requested black coffee. I used to be a black coffee girl. Black coffee was all I would drink for real until I got very experimental with coffee and basically used coffee as a coping mechanism and like a form of creativity, which is a whole other thing. But for me, black coffee is nostalgic in a way. And it's something I used to drink all the time in high school. So now drinking it, it's like, oh, just like the old days. I prefer an oat milk latte. I prefer espresso over coffee any day, but going back to a classic black coffee never hurt anybody. And our drinks today are from the Walt and Whitman Cafe here in Saratoga Springs. Okay, and for our book of the day, this one is called The American Way of Death Revisited by Jessica Mitford. This book is really, really interesting. Jessica Mitford essentially kind of exposes the American funeral industry. It's a very serious topic with a very like fun, witty spin. So it was first published in 1963, and it became a huge bestseller and just kind of talked about protecting grieving families and the industry of dying, which I think is so fascinating because it's interesting how other cultures and other places of the world celebrate death and celebrate the lived experiences of death and also harvest a way different culture around grief. Whereas here in the West, we it's like we don't talk about it we don't acknowledge it and we just try to like wrap it up and move on and this kind of addresses that in a lot of ways it kind of goes into like the lobbying the cost the death industry the the corporations kind of behind it and how this affects grieving families so i think this is really interesting if you want to read more about what really goes on behind the scenes and in terms of funerals and death and maybe more reasons as to why it's not a huge open conversation as it should be and just the, the parts of it that people don't want to talk about because grieving people, especially in those early days after their loss, are super vulnerable and are super they, – they don't care how much they're spending on funerals. They don't care about the specifics. They don't care about getting a deal. They're not in the headspace to even – be planning something like this and so they can get taken advantage of so much and so easily so i think this is a really really great place to start if you're kind of interested in things that have to do with funerals and, and death and like the whole industry and how it's been capitalized here in the u.s y'all know how i feel about capitalism so <laughs> all right so let me know if you read it let me know what you are reading and without further ado let's jump into today's episode all about finding meaning and purpose while facing grief. All right, so today I have a very special guest. I feel like I've been looking forward to this ever since I heard your story, and you also have a podcast, so I was like, this is the perfect guest to have on. Um, so I'd love for you to introduce yourself and just kind of give us a little brief overview of your story and why you're here today. Absolutely. First of all, I'm super happy to be here. Um, my name is Heather Strotter. I am the founder, along with my husband, of an organization here in Saratoga called Jake's Help from Heaven. And we started that organization when our son Jake passed away. He passed away when he was four years old in 2010. He was born healthy and up until eight months was just the very typical baby boy. And he had a seizure. Ironically, he had a seizure um, his 17 years ago today was oh, the day wow. of his seizure. I'm really weird with dates, and that was not one on my radar until my husband sent me a text this morning. He had left for work, and he was like, for seizure anniversary, and I was like, oh. Wow. So there's that. So he's been gone, honestly, since 2010, and like I said, we started an organization in his name called Jake's Help from Heaven, and I love to talk about him, and I think that's one of the things with grief where people don't, they're uncomfortable, and they don't always want to ask 
about the person that's passed or they don't know how to handle it. And one of the things that I love to do is an opportunity to talk about my son. I get to talk about Ethan, who is very much alive and 19. I get to talk about him all the time. So I love any chance to talk about Jake. So thank you for having me here. Yeah, I love that. And I feel like I relate to that so much. It's like in any situation, if I can even just say like Regis's name, for example, like that just feels so good. It's like you're validating their existence, right? Like, Yeah, yeah. It's like we have all the time in the world right now and just to be able to give a few minutes to our person every day is like such a special thing it's always so interesting because you know when you bring it up around other people they they get a little uncomfortable yeah. and they get a little like you know what what is this going to be like but for us it's like that's our experience and that's somebody that we love and want to share. I guess I want to start kind of at the beginning, sure. the the early days and maybe even before you lost Jake and then kind of the immediate after and just what that experience was like and how your world shifted. So I've always sort of thought that like my world shifted kind of two times, right? It happened that night of the first seizure. He literally went from being um, an eight-month old baby boy who was as typical as you could get. And he honestly met his milestones almost early because he had his brother who was 15 months older than him. And all he wanted to do was exactly what Ethan did. So he like was scooting early. He was crawling early. He was just wanting to be with Ethan. Yeah. And then he had this seizure and it turned into a 117-day-long hospital stay at Boston Children's. Um, when we could finally bring him back home after his first birthday, he had lost all those milestones. Wow. He was really heavily medicated. He was getting PT five days a week, OT, like all these things. And there was this real transition period for, for my husband and I, but mostly for me because I was really – I was the one that was in the day-to-day -day of like yeah. the PT every day, the like – trying to figure out how he could be fed, like all of these things. But I really thought we were going to switch. There was going to be like a switch and we'd get back to normal, like that he would regain all those milestones, that he would be healthy and that I would have two healthy boys again. And it took me a really long time to accept that was not going to be the way, like that that he was going to have significant delays and significant medical challenges right. for his whole life. So there was that kind of first adjustment. You know, hindsight is, is what it is. But I would say looking back, we adjusted pretty well. Like we yeah. definitely figured out a way to to be a happy family of four and to keep Jake healthy and, and happy and give him the best life and best opportunity we could within our means. People often assume that we knew he was going to die because he had medical challenges. That was my next question. Like, how much hope did you have or did you did you think things were going to turn around? We, you know, so he was not healthy, but he, there was no point in our life that we thought he was going to die. Yeah. Certainly not when he did either. Like, I'm not saying we thought he was going to live to be 100. Right. But, you know, we definitely thought of life, like we were making adjustments in our life for having you know, a medically challenged son for our whole life. Like, you right. know, and, and we were thinking that he would need supports, but that he would always be a part of our life because he, you know, he had seizures and he had delays, but he, for the most part, was healthy. Like he ate by mouth, like I could feed him, like healthy being relatively speaking, you know, but right. there wasn't, it wasn't like he had this illness that had a lifespan on it. Like we just thought we were going to continue on our path. So we were very unprepared for his death, you know. So I, I do think people sometimes just assume because he was sick that we had prepared for it, but we did not. So he had something also called ostenpenia, which means your bones are really fragile. And it was a side effect of some of just the medications he was on. So he passed away in December, but on in the end of November, he had broken his femur bone, literally just laying in bed. Wow. Yeah, like he like rolled over and his bone broke. There was a whole thing about having, you know, we got him casted. We had his doctor at Mass General take care of it. There was this whole thing. I, Looking back now, that was the beginning of the end. I didn't know it when I was in it. It was almost like he was feeling things and he was, I used to joke that he was depressed. Not that that's a joke, <laughs> you know what I mean? But like I was like he was a four-year-old kid and I right. was like, oh, he's depressed because he would like sneer at me sometimes and he'd be like, we'd be like, oh, come on. We had taken him off some of his medication, so he was definitely feeling things more. And, and yeah. you know, my husband and I would, would kind of joke, we're like the only parents who are happy when their kid cries. But it meant he was feeling something, right? right? You know, because right. sometimes he was so medicated, you didn't get a lot of expression from him. So we were getting a lot more expression, not all of it happy, but we were kind of happy because we're like, hey, he's feeling it. And then one night I was feeding him. He had this horrible cough. He was not having a great day. He was having an overall not great day. But, you know, I always said, like, sometimes Ethan didn't have great day. You know what I mean? Just... Right. Like you, it's, it's just not a great day. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. like it is what it is. 
And then he started choking and I, I kind of knew instantly. I was like, oh my God, something's happening. Ethan was five and I said, um, Ethan, call 911. So my five-year-old son called 911. Um, the ambulance came, everything came and we got to the hospital. We ended up knowing one of Ethan's good friend's father was the ER doctor oh, wow. on call. I always felt bad for him because what a horrible position for him to be in. But for me, it was such a blessing because I was like, oh, my God, Todd, like he knew our story. He yeah. knew Jake. He knew like he just knew us. You felt safe. I felt totally yeah. safe because I, I had otherwise would not have. Right. And I know that he did everything he could. I know that he also sort of waited for Brian to get there. But he did. He passed away at Saratoga Hospital on December 8th, 2010. Totally unexpected. Like, woke. you know, it's one of those things you woke up. I woke up that morning just a normal day in my life. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I, a friend of mine, Heath, had come over to visit. You know, so Jake was in the Spica cast. So, like, we couldn't really leave the house. It was just too complicated. So she came over, like, brought coffees. Like, we shot the sh for a little while. It was just a day. It was, yeah, it's just any other day. You're yeah, just doing which is always day. funny about death, right? Like, it's it's just a day. It starts as just a day. I remember ending that day. I remember standing in the front room. We had a, We finally, like, we left the hospital. You go to the hospital with someone. You come home without them. Like, it was brutal. And I remember just standing in our front room screaming, like, and Brian just like holding me and he was sobbing. And I was just like, I couldn't, I didn't know what to do. Like I was just literally screaming. That initial moment of like getting that news, it's a feeling, there's not even a word for it. It's no. not painful. It's, it's, it's like beyond this pit that. in your stomach, it's, which is, yeah. yeah. It's beyond pain. It's beyond discomfort. It's just like something so specific to grief and, and like visceral because it's almost yeah. like I can be sitting here right now and obviously not in that same moment but I can I can feel you know that it. same feeling yeah. it's like it's almost like like you just feel it it's like a, a physical memory that your body can you can really go back to it it's like this numbness but this also feeling everything yeah I don't know what your experience was with you know, your initial reaction. But I do feel like, you know, people try to calm you down. People try to like quiet you. And it's, you're you don't want to be quiet. Yeah, like yeah. you, you're just reacting to something horrible. It's kind of crazy to me that there is such a, in a push to like silence people when they're grieving. There was such a push to it's interesting that you say that because I remember there was such a push from from dear friends of mine that were like, and they were saying things to like Brian and like, okay, you know, let's get her on some medication. <laughs> and I was like, um, no, <laughs> like, you oh know, my God. I'm on, it was definitely like, does she need anything? Does she need, to, you know, she needs to sleep. And again, like no judgment if that's what, you know, right. I, I'm a big believer in whatever you need to get through when you're going stuff, you know, so I, there's zero judgment on it. But for me, I was like, no, like this is, this isn't depression. Yeah, where you like, like, you know, like I was like, no, like I, I just, and I would get kind of pissed off because I was like, no, like let me feel what I'm feeling. And yeah. if you don't want to be around it, don't be around it. Like, you know, by all means, but like, don't put me to bed. You know right. what I mean? Like, I, and there was this other piece that was very real for me too, from the beginning. And you know, when you remember those moments, we remember, like, you're looking back on it, it's still a memory, right? Like, it's yeah. like, it's hard to put yourself back in there. And so even what I'm saying, is it true? I Like, it's, it's how I remember it to be true. But what was it really like then? It's hard for me to actually remember. But I do think... I, from the beginning, had I was like, I can't, I can't go to bed for a week. Like, you know, I need to feel this and I need to figure out how to live my life because I have a five-year-old, right? Like I have a five-year-old who called 911, whose brother died. Yeah. And, you know, there was always a part of me that was like, I'm going to go dark, but I can't go that dark because I still need to like, I can't F up my kid, you know? Yeah. Like I need to figure out how to still be a mom. And I think that was... In many ways, I have said he like saved my life, right? Because he, he gave you kept, that reason. It was the reason. Yeah. Like he was, because it wasn't, I wasn't the reason. And, and as much as I love my husband, he wasn't the reason. Yeah. It really was this five year old little boy that needed his mom, you know? That's so interesting to me because I think, you know, as somebody who doesn't have kids and who experienced grief, I feel like it's very hard to find a reason. And in those early days, it was, there was really nothing. My friends, my family, even my parents, my siblings, like I, it wasn't enough. And sometimes, no, you know, they're coming from a good place, but they you know, because people don't know, they just don't know and they don't know what to say. And sometimes I would say that was kind of more on me than them, because one person could say one thing and it would piss me off. Oh, I would the get same, so mad. Someone else could say the same thing and I could hear it. You know what I mean? Like it, it, be, it for me, it was so like certain things just set me right off the deep end. Yeah. So it's hard, right? Like 
it's so random because you're just so out of control of your reaction your reactions and I remember the early days for me like well, I don't even remember the early days really it's kind of this like blank just blurry period where you know things were happening around me but I was just kind of there and my reactions were so out of my control but it's hard because these are real people who are actually trying to help me and I'm getting upset with them or they're doing too much they're not doing enough and it kind of got to the point where when people would ask me like what can I do for you I would just tell them what not to do because I don't know what you can do for me like if you can't bring Regis back you really can't can't do do anything anything. just don't tell me he's in a better place (laughs) just don't tell me that he would want me to be happy like all of those you know one line cliches yeah 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 I'm like, that's just, just don't do that. Just give me space and like, let me talk about it. Let me sit in it. If I need to distract me, if that's what I need, like just, just don't do, you know, these things. Those things are just, those things would make you nuts. Well, and it was funny because there were some people and I always hope that I am that person now for people. And I don't know that I am, but there were a few people in those days that just did like, so all of a sudden, you know, we have to have a funeral and a wake and all these things. And I'm like, what am I supposed to wear? What am I supposed to wear to bury my kid? Like all, but I had zero. And I had friends who just like went to like the store and bought like every black dress they had and showed up and said like, one of these will work. Right. And that I kind of needed that, right? Because right. I wasn't able to do that. Right. I just had some people around me who innately knew what to do, right? And we they had just people, got it. they just got it. And they would bring like, we weren't, you know, Brian and I, we could barely feed ourselves, right? You know, so then all of a sudden there'd be like a tray of sandwiches and someone would make sure I ate something. Like there were just people who, and they weren't necessarily the people who I would have thought would have been them. Right. But just some people knew exactly what to say or what book to give me and just had stuff that at that moment worked. I still think back to some of that. And then I remember there were a few friends of mine who'd be like, well, why is what she says works? And and I was like, well, don't make me feel bad. You know, like sometimes it'd be like, they're like, I'm trying to say everything and everything I say is wrong. And I'm like, yeah, it's not my fault. You know, like I know, like yeah. I cannot be worried about that. Yeah. Right and I, that was always that. I always found that odd that sometimes people and, and I knew they were just trying to help. Yeah. But it didn't make it easier. Part. Yeah. Because now you're kind of juggling their feelings on top of yours and you don't even know what you're feeling. Exactly. It's it's really messy and it's really hard. And yeah, I mean, what you said about like, it's surprising the people you didn't realize would be there because the people that I thought were going to be like ride or die, they're going to be the people. None of them were. It was the most random people. And And you meet so many people in the process too that just get it. I can think back of some very specific people. And I just, it's exactly that. They weren't the ones that if you had asked me before, who would be, you know, if you've had the biggest crisis of your life, who's going to be there? Yeah. You know, it's not. It, it's a weird <laughs> list. Yeah. And it's interesting how many different purposes people serve in those days. Like there were people that I did not want to talk about it with and that I just needed to like get out of the house yeah. and like do something fun. Um, but I am interested to hear about how your relationship with your husband was impacted in those early days and how you've been able to grow together since then. So it's interesting because I have subsequently learned that when this happens to couples, I don't know what the percentage is, but the vast majority of them do not make it. That's what I was thinking. It is. um, Well, there are certainly times he drives me nuts. It is never around the realm of this. You know what I mean? Like I at risk of being a total cliche, it has made us stronger, right? It has given us this perspective of what's important yeah, and what is what is like worth fighting for and what's worth being mad about, right? You know what I mean? Like, I hate to say it, but a lot of things that we get all pissed off about just aren't that big of a deal. They're not that important. And I have to remind myself that all the time. It's not like I live this perfect life of like, you know, right? you right. know, I mean, I, I'm as much done. of a hot mess as everyone else. But for us, the worst thing has already happened. And in, in a weird way, it happened twice, right? Like our kid went from being healthy to having a seizure and spending 117 days in the hospital and, and turning our life totally upside down and crazy. Yeah. And then three and a half years later, dying, you know, like, so we had these like stages, I think after that first seizure and, and being in the hospital and figuring that out, that's really when we realized we were in this together and that it was greater than us. You know, it, it wasn't just, I don't mean to, sound like a total cliche, but it's like we had to put our egos aside. It wasn't about what I wanted in this relationship or what he wanted in this relationship. It was really about how are we going to come together and make the best life for our child, for both of our children. But like, how are we going to make this work for Jake? And how are we going, like, being apart is not going to help Jake. It ended up being this like 
tie that binded us. Like we're very, again, I'm not saying it's it's the marriage of the century, but <laughs> it's you know we we certainly have our squabbles and our whatever, yeah. but but we're connected by something greater than us. For us, it's 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 powerful. Like it it keeps us in perspective and it keeps us really focused. Yeah, I really like what you said about this realization of things not being that serious. And I feel like a lot of people who have experienced grief have that same perspective, like, you know, getting pissed off at a driver on the road or, you know, something goes wrong and you have to redirect just like little things like that. I feel like my anger towards those things has just complete. It's just like, okay, it could be so much worse. Well, and I think that's the and and anytime I find myself getting worked up, it's perspective, right? Like it's just perspective and, and recognizing like there's a bigger world than just what is happening right in our moment at that time. And yeah, there there's so much, so much more. And I feel like we also understand how limited our life is. And because of that, it's important to like take life a lot less serious, but a lot more serious. And all at the ways. same time. Yeah. No, I think that's that's very accurate. Yeah, yeah, it's a really complicated thing. But I think that's unfortunately like one of the good things, and that's always weird to say. But. No, but I do. I I've always, you know, and, and and Jake's been gone thirteen years. There's part of that, like even when I say that out loud, I almost want to throw up. Right, like it doesn't make it any yeah. easier. Time yeah. doesn't heal all wounds. Like it, it doesn't make it better. It, it just doesn't. I wish I could say it does, but it doesn't. It just makes it different, you know, and it, it in some ways makes it sadder because it's this whole life, right? You know, it's this whole life that we have had subsequently. Like he's certainly a part of it, right? He is, he is the reason I do the work I do. He is the reason I do a lot that I am who I am. But going back to what you're saying, sort of finding the positive, the positive is I, I live a very different life now than I did before. I think I'm a better human because of it. Like, it's a huge, I always joke that I wish I was a shittier human right. <laughs> with my kid alive. You know, like, I'm not trying to yeah. be the best person like ever. if you could pick. Yeah, if um, I could pick, I'd be, I'd go right back to my old ways. But I do think that when you experience things like this, you just, you have this opportunity to, to go through the world in a kinder, more gentler way. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's how I feel like I can always pick out people who have experienced grief because you just know and they they just get it. Like we keep saying, I want you to talk a little bit about Jake's help from heaven. So right after, and and this is one of those things where I don't actually know the time frame. In my head, it was like in the days after. Right. And I do think it was in some of the days after, but it's probably more like the weeks after, months after. Especially me. I was like, what am I going to do with myself, right? Like once Jake got sick, there was, I had to quit what I was previously doing. I just had to be his mom because he needed 24-7 care. He had a lot of therapies. Like, And we were fortunate enough that I could do that, that that was just the the choice we made. When he passed, all of a sudden there's this blocks of time, you know, and that was really very scary to me. Like, what am I going to do? Because all I did was take care of Jake. It was in those moments where it was like, we need to take everything we learned. And again, that this sounds a little cliche, but it was like Jake's life meant something he taught us lessons like he was this perser like he just had perseverance and bravery and all of these things and how can we take that and do something with that and i remember driving in the car like brainstorming names of what this foundation would be and i don't know if it was brian or if it was i or it was the combination but we came up with this jake's help from heaven and it just i remember just being like this is so perfect because it's what it is right jake is these are the lessons he's taught us and we know there's other kids like jake and there are other families like ours that need help and let's just do it. And we did not really know what we were doing, but we knew that if we got an attorney that they could get us set up to be a nonprofit. Like we just knew we wanted to do it right and we wanted to do it right away. Like simply put, we wanted to be there for other families like us. It was before Facebook and like social media like took off. So when I was like at home being Jake's mom, it was very isolating, right? Like there was no... I make it sound like it's like back in the, you know, back I had to walk uphill both ways <laughs> in a snowstorm. But um, I'm like sounding like I'm 800 right now. But um, but there, there, it was isolating. There wasn't this world. And now like on, on Facebook and on Instagram, like I am like Facebook friends with 
other moms that were like me with with you know it's the world's smaller now yeah. and that's so great right like it's it's so great that there's these resources even if they're strangers they're still resources and i remember in our early days of doing jake's help from heaven is i wanted to be that resource right i wanted to be like jake taught me so many things about like how even how to like advocate and fight with insurance companies to get things covered how to like just stuff yeah. like there's so much stuff and i just i didn't want it all to go to waste i wanted to be able to share that. And that's basically what Jake's Help from Heaven is. We help families within a hundred mile radius of Saratoga Springs and we help with any, whether it's equipment, whether it's medical travel reimbursement, because we know that a lot of the great doctors you need to see are not necessarily here. They're in Boston, they're in New York, yeah. they're at the Mayo Clinic. You know, we have paid for people to see specialists across the country in California and Washington, like just wherever they need to be. Um, if it's technology, you know, we always say that there's not like a list of yes, we cover this, no, we don't cover that. We cover what a family thinks they need to improve quality of life, not only for the person in their life that's challenged, but for the family as well. Because for us, it was really about giving Jake the best life was also giving us the best life, right? Like it was figuring out what we could do as a family. Right. And even if Jake couldn't actively participate, he could passively participate, right? So we would go bowling and Ethan would love to go bowling. And Jake, we always like to think he was sitting in his chair and he was like, he liked the noise and the lights and the stimulation. Like, you know, I mean, it was, yeah. so for us, that was like a family activity. We would go to New York City and, you know, we'd find these great playgrounds that Ethan could run around and we'd sit on the bench and we'd watch, you know, like we would just figure out things that we could do as a family and have a, the best quality of life. And that's what we, at Jake's Help from Heaven, we're trying to provide those experiences for families like ours. It's so amazing because I feel like in, in the wake of a lot of stuff like this, you want to just fix everything. And when you really just get to connect with a family, you are literally making a difference and you can see it and you can feel it. You, by doing that, are giving so much time to Jake and just so much love to him. And it's such an amazing thing. And I'm sure it's not easy sometimes. Okay, we work with a population that unfortunately, we've lost a lot of our applicants. It's a hard part of the job, I guess. But in the same respect, I know that I offer families when they've lost their loved one, a perspective like Jake's Help from Heaven is not just a, it's not the same organization as anyone else. And I think the reason it's as successful as it is, and, it, and it's shocking to me how successful it is. Like we have done over $1.6 million in grants wow. since 2011. Like that's a lot of money. And when we started, when I tell you we have, we had no idea what we were doing, we had no idea what we were doing. It's not like we have a background in right. like, nonprofit care. Right, you're like, what we want to do, let's just try. Like we just literally are very authentic, right? Like yeah. we raise money and the money goes right to the families. Like yeah. I'm the one who does it. And yeah. then we have this great board that like votes and, and helps us kind of like make our mission and, and do our stuff. But the the work is all me. And for me, it's exactly what I need to be doing. It is that giving the proper attention to Jake after all these years still, yeah. like letting him be the light that he was in a different way, but also just being this person for our families, you know, and and to some degree being the person that I was looking for but, but couldn't find. So I would have loved someone who walked in my shoes a little bit, you know, someone in it. And I think that's part of why we are a successful organization for being a small, you know, kind of local organization. But right. but we're successful because people know that when they contribute to us, that it's going right into impacting people. Yeah. And people know that they can ask for help and they have a partner. It's not like a pity. It's not a like, oh, I have to do this. It's it's really you have in us a partner to help you through these stages. And we're always, we're there for all the stages. There's so many things I want to say because I still find myself in a similar place. Like Regis had schizophrenia. He committed suicide. And that is such a niche experience, yeah. right? And it's like, what can I do to help other people yeah. in that position? And it's really hard to figure that out because you're like, I want to help so bad. I don't know how. I don't know where to start. And it's also tough because especially like kids with disabilities are overlooked by a lot of systems that are in place. Mm -hmm. And so actually being able to reach these people, like connecting with other people who know someone with schizophrenia for me is yeah. huge because it's a forgotten mental illness. It's stigmatized, it's ignored, and that's really difficult. If it's uncomfortable to people, they sort of just want to not think about yeah. it. You know, and I sort of feel like I'm here, you're here to like, you can't just look the other way, right? No. These are very real, very real things that we, that are part of life, right? It's part of, you got to face it head on. And I don't know, not that 
I'm a bully, but right? Like, you got, <laughs> you got, I don't think it's fair when people just want to like brush things under the rug. Yeah, right? And no like matter how much you brush it, it's still there. It's still there. It's like, just a lump under the rug now. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and I think that's the amazing thing about what you're doing is connecting with those people who are probably thinking like, I am so alone. Nobody cares. And this is miserable. Like just that one pocket of peace which is maybe their kid gets something that makes their day to day even this much more yeah. comfortable. That's, That's just what, so it's amazing. not like it's because it, and I've said this, and, and the board always says this it's not always like the big pieces of equipment. And we're no. happy and we're thrilled when we can do the big pieces of equipment and, and that's, but sometimes the asks are smaller, but they're almost more meaningful, right? Like they already have the wheelchair that keeps them safe, safe in their posture and all of the things, but sometimes they need the adaptive stroller that has the really big wheels that they can then take to watch their sibling play soccer, right? right. You know what I mean? Like it's maybe their positioning is not a hundred percent, but it's, it's what they need to be part of their family life, yeah. you know, and we're on both ends. Like we will support you if you want assistance towards that big wheelchair. But if you want the like adaptive stroller or if you want, you know, the compression wear that just kind of helps keep, you know, I mean, whatever it is, because sometimes it's those small things that just, it's like a sigh of relief. It's like for one second, I can just be a typical family with, you know, the one kid watching the other kid play soccer. You know, I mean, yeah. and that's like a really simple thing to say. But like for us with Jake, sometimes if we could just have those moments, those experiences that just felt, I don't want to say normal because that's a weird word, but like I just, that just felt like. Like peaceful. Yes. Like you could see him smile. And you could that's just it. be like, this is just, it's just a day in the life. Everything is yeah. not hard, you know, like, because sometimes yeah. it feels like everything is hard, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like this monumental thing that you're just staring at, but. Yeah, it is. If you break it down, things. sometimes it's just, you know, like it's one one step in front of the other, like just trying to make things a little simpler. Yeah. And just bearable, livable and a yeah. little bit more peaceful. No. And I, I like that you keep saying peaceful because that's really what it is, too. It's things are things are OK right now. Right. And I, I find peaceful to be one of my favorite words in the topic of grief because I'm not trying to make it better. Yep. I'm not trying to fix it or solve it. And it, it's even the same with what you're doing. Like you're not going to fix this. You're not going to completely solve it. Yep. You're just trying to give people like some peace. No, I think that's a perfect word for it. I really do. Yeah. So I want to talk, I know we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but you know, a lot of people I've talked to on the show are very new to their grief. It's been a year, maybe maybe three years. You've been living with this for a lot longer. So how has your grief changed over time? And how are you living with it like today versus, you know, even just 10 years ago? Grief is so wild, right? Because it, it doesn't go away. I think there's this correlation, at least for me, between, you know, between grief and guilt. Guilt is, to me, sometimes harder than grief, if that makes any sense. I agree with that. Because, entirely. you know, you in the beginning, you're just overwhelmed by grief. At least for me, there was guilt of like, what if I had done this different? What, like, you know, I, I, like reliving the moment when things went south. Like, what could I have done different? And I didn't live in that space too long. And, and honestly, going back to when we were talking about like Brian and ours relationship, very early on, and even when he was kind of giving the eulogy, he said something to the effect of like, and he was in tears when he was saying it, but he was thanking me for everything I did to make Jake's life so much as fulfilling as it was and as, as healthy as it was and keeping him alive for as long as I did. And oddly enough, like that alleviated a lot of my guilt around his death because I just felt really seen by that. And that was really important to me. And I think when we fight about other things, like I still remember that moment wow. and just like, it, I don't, you know, it, it's all moments, right? Life is it all really these moments is, yeah. that you kind of piece together to make to make your life and and that one was just important so but in those early stages it was just grief and it was like how do I get up and how do I breathe and how do I how do I face the day and right. and at a certain point that stopped being so suffocating right like it just became you know and I hate using these cliche phrases but it became a new normal like my new normal was that my son passed away and figuring that out and then it really became this life of routine, almost obsessive routine. I would go to the cemetery every morning with Ethan before school, and we would go every night before bed. And if I didn't go, I was like riddled with guilt. Yep. Like I had somehow broken this vow to Jake, you know, and I just, it was this monumental like thing. And where he's buried, sometimes if there was a big snowstorm, they wouldn't plow. And like Brian and I would be beside ourselves. Like we're like, you know, we trudge through the snow, like literally, literally yeah. crazy people. And then that kind of calmed down a little bit, right? I don't know. Like time just makes it 
it makes my routines and my things different. But it, that pit we talked about earlier, that feeling that happens, it's still there. And I am better at existing with it because I think you just learn to exist with it. It's just part of who I am now. It's like a, it's a part of the fabric of my being, right? Like is that I'm a little deeper, I'm a little darker, I'm a little sadder than most of my friends. And not that they haven't experienced grief, but this grief just ripped out my like part of my soul. And it's very dramatic, but I, it's kind of it, how you feel, does, right? Yeah. Like it's just, you know, in the beginning, it's, it's a lot about like the first Christmas without him, the first birthday without him. There's just these things, you know? And then I remember when I got a new car and it was, Jake's never been in this car. And I didn't even know what to do with myself. Like I, I didn't, I didn't know how to be in a car that Jake had never been in. Like there's just, you know, there was oh, things like that, that. hit that like, right? Like it's just, it's yeah. weird. Like it's, yeah. I don't know that we will live in yoga forever. But I will never sell that house. Like that house will always be in our family because I can never not have that house because, A, it's the house that we lived as a happy family with Jake. And it's also the house he died in. And it's just the house that like I feel like he's there still. Like I feel like it's Jake's house. His life was there. His life you know? was there. It's it's 13 years now that he's been gone. And, and so in December, December 8th, it was 13 years I don't know what it was about 13 years. Like when Ethan turned 13, like there's something about when your kid turns 13, or at least for me, that just feels like the baby's gone. It's the start yeah, of the teenager. Yeah. Like there is something for it's me. It's a shift. It's a shift. It's like this mind shift. And it's also raising teenagers is not a <laughs> box of chocolates. I like, you know, like I was not I mean, an easy teenager to I raise. I was a menace <laughs> to society. So like I certainly, looking back, there are some of the best moments of parenting in it. Your kid's becoming a bigger human, right? Like so yeah. there's some greatness in it, but there's also a lot of, like I found a lot of challenges in the early teen years. And there was something about Jake being gone 13 years that just hit harder. Like it was kind of like when your kid becomes a teenager. Yeah. And I can't really make that make sense. It makes a ton of sense in my head. It makes less sense every time I, I try to express it though. it though. I get it. It's just you're shifting into like this new era and it's almost like a, a new sense of loss. Like you're now thinking about all of those. Well, and it's like, you know, Ethan is a freshman in college. So I like it should be the year that Jake is a senior in high school home with us, you know, like and, and none of that was going to be the typical life because he was sick and he had challenges. But you still I still find myself thinking of like, this is the other weird thing with grief. I can't picture him at 17, right? He's 17 right now. And I have no idea what that means because I still I still only know a four-year-old boy. I struggle with that. You know, I yeah. struggle as much with that now as I did then. You know, it's just some of that doesn't go away. And I don't know, I don't go to the cemetery as much as I used to. So sometimes I'm like riddled in guilt with that, right? Like I'm like, I feel like I have to apologize to him. I don't yeah. know. Like I just, I wish there was a point in grief where it's better. It, it's not better. It's just different, right? It's everything is a different stage. What does get better is is your relationship with it because it becomes this real chapter of who yeah. you are, this real fabric of who you are. And the more time that passes, I became more comfortable with that part of me. Like I accepted this as part of who I am now. I didn't try to fight it. In the beginning, maybe I fought it a little because society thinks you should be this way or that. And Part of it is I'm 50 now and I don't really give a shit. Yeah, you just but, keep bothered. Yeah, like, you know, and I, I, over it. <laughs> I didn't really give a shit much before I was 50, but so now even less. If you let it become part of who you are, I don't always think that's bad because I think it's authentic, right? Like we have had this experience and it's, it's who we are and it has shifted our life. Yeah. And you value the person who you lost by allowing it to shift your life. I agree. Um, and I, I always say the version of me that existed before Regis died literally died with Regis. 100%. And yeah. now it's it's been a process of just relearning this new version of myself and like letting go of old thought patterns or old behaviors that just don't align with this added experience to my conglomeration of like who I am. And it, that's really hard also for outside people to kind of watch you shift into a whole new person. Because like there's parts of the old Madison here, but they're, the different. parts, yeah, they're, they're parts that are not maybe what people wanted to stick around or whatever the case is. But I think that takes a couple of years, too, for sure. Like there were people who would be like, oh, you're so angry now. You know, I, I would write these letters to Jake, right? And then people would comment and say like, oh, it makes me sad to read that. You're so angry. And I'm like, I lost my fucking kid. You know what I mean? Like, like then don't read the letter. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Not like, you. <laughs> yeah, not my problem. It took me a while to not be hurt by that. I, I try to believe that people don't say things to be mean and hurtful, right? They say either they don't think when they speak, and, and I'm certainly guilty of that sometimes. 
So I try to give people grace, right? Yeah. And in the beginning, it was a lot harder. Like, I, And I'm talking, this is kind of where when I talk about grief after 13 years is very different than talking about grief at one year, three years, five years, because right. I wasn't given a ton of grace at three years, five. You know, I mean, it took me a long time. So I wanted that just to be clear. Like, it takes time to where you can give people grace. And I'm still not always good at it. I yeah, still get, it's you know, so like, hard. so I don't, I don't want to come across like, oh, it gets easier because it doesn't. But I, you know, it's kind of like the podcast, right? A place of yes. Like, I try to live my life right now where I am just choosing to believe and see the good and, and try to be the good. I'm choosing to believe that other people want to live that way, too. And whether they do or not is on them. Yeah, but if I can to. see it that way, yeah. then it just it makes my life better too. Like it's somewhat selfish, right? Like I'm already carrying this additional burden in my life, for lack of a better word. Like this additional like heartache. I can't carry the rest of the world's heartache too. Like I need the, I need to think that they are trying to come from a place of good too. Otherwise, it's just too hard. It can get really dark and really hopeless. So you have to just find a reason to like think Dig that out. it's all yeah. worth it, yeah. think that it's a positive experience in some sense and that other people like they, they I do kind of believe that most people are well intentioned. I think so. And I think just a lot of people haven't experienced the same feeling and, yeah. and the same type of grief, especially like for me, this happened when I was 22. And People in my life, like, never – they might have experienced, like, a grandparent yeah. dying or a pet dying. Yeah. I'm having this huge experience of somebody my age dying in yeah. this horrible way. In a terrible way. And people would be like, oh, my grandma died when I was 12, so, like, I know how you feel. <laughs> and I'm like – Okay, shut up. You don't. <laughs> but it's like yeah. when you really, you know, looking back at that, they were just trying to grasp trying to onto connect. something yeah. and connect and make me feel – less horrible. But as a grieving person, there's nothing that makes you feel less horrible. No. It's just things that make you feel like you Some things can resonate and some things don't, right? You know, yeah. so I think being where I am in this journey now, it's easier for me to like take what resonates and throw out what doesn't. Yes. Take as the good, leave yeah, the bad. As opposed to like at different stages where I just couldn't, you know, I almost yeah. I almost did the opposite, right? Like I almost didn't take the good and I sat in the stuff that hurt my feelings or made me sad. Because it's easier and it's easier to like then get stuck in anger and like have a reason to take this sort of, at least for me, like there's still, there's, there's like rage, like, right? Like I'm pissed, like my kid died, like all these years later, like that, that doesn't go away. Like I, I worry sometimes when I let people see me and they think they're like, oh, you're so positive and you're you're doing so good in the world. And There's da, more. Da, 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 da. I'm There's like, more. oh, <laughs> please let's all be clear. Like right. every day is not, you know, rainbows and sunshine. And and it go it gets dark, you know, and it, it the anger and the rage, all of that is still very there. Yeah. I've gotten better at, at compartment uh, compartmentalizing is not the right word, but like having all of it work together for me as opposed yeah. to just in isolation, right? And and that just takes time. And it's funny, you talked about someone, you know, losing a pet. I used to take so personally when people would say those things, right? Like, oh, my grandma died or like my dog died or whatever. This is a very new revelation. Like I'm talking like six months, like very new step in my like whatever we're calling this process journey, whatever it is. So if someone is is talking about the stages of grief, say over a pet, not long ago, that would have made me literally like my eyes would be so far back yeah, to the back of I'm my like head <laughs> that I'd be like, you know, whatever. Like, shut up. Yeah. I have recently just been like, you know what? Like, I hear that for you, right? Like, I, I, grief is grief. Regardless of what it is that puts us in that place, I am trying to just be like, okay, your grief and my grief, they're, they're the same because grief is grief. I'm not saying I buy that. I'm not saying you should buy that. It helps I'm in just the moment, saying though. after all these years, like, I just had to stop feeling that way. I had yeah. to stop comparing grief like, or stop feeling like my grief is more important than your grief or my grief is worse than your grief Like, because I lived there for 13 years. It's funny. It just was this moment of where I was like, I hear that for them, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. I, it's hard for yeah. me to wrap my head around that, but I hear that they're not trying to minimize my grief, right? Or at least me. I would make everything like where I'm the center of it and everyone else is around it. I, I you know what I mean? That. Yeah. And, and it's I'm, hard. This revelation I'm talking about literally is in like the last six months. Wow. So so it's not like... It just keeps teaching you. It just keeps giving, <laughs> giving You know what you I mean? Like, so it's not like early on in my stage, I was this like yeah. kind and understanding people. I, I was angry for a long time. You know, like it's just, yep. there's moments where all of a sudden it's like, wait, I do have, I have more power and control here where I can just... That it sounds so 
nice <laughs> to be able to do that. And I do understand like how that that experience can come at so many different stages. It can also leave. Yes, and come yes, back. yes, yes. And because I feel like there's moments where I'm so empathetic towards the grandparent or, or what, the pet, uh, yeah. the dog. And then there's times where I'm like, how dare you say that to yes, me? Angry. Like, like oh, how yeah. dare you? And it's like this. the how dare you? I lived in that space a long time. And, and you're right. It, it goes and comes back. And I will never judge how people do handle their grief because yeah. it is right. It's it's day to day. It's moment to moment. It is. Yeah. It's ever present. In some ways, when people tell me like, oh, I understand what you're going through because my dog died. <laughs> I'm almost like happy for them. I'm like, I'm so glad that's your experience yep. of grief. I'm so glad you don't know what it's like. Yep. But it's once again, kind of putting yourself in the center yeah. and, and comparing everything to that horrible dark moment yep and it's 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 It's, hard it is so much to live with it is so much to live with um i am really curious in the very beginning the early days for me i became the caretaker of everyone around me who was grieving and and that's how i got through it but now you know a little over a year later the grief has hit me you know i've been running from it for a year and now i'm like okay i was there for everyone else now who's there for me? I need to work on myself with this. So did you have a role that you played early on? Like, were you trying to keep it together for other people? Were you just completely like you needed to be cared for? Or like, what was your your role in those early days? That's a really good question. And it's, I don't know if this sounds weird or not, but like, I'm trying to remember, you know, I'm trying yeah, to. Yeah, it's a little fuzzy. <laughs> it's, it's kind of fuzzy, right? Like it's, um again, I, I mean, I think very... Very much in the beginning, my whole purpose was really Ethan. When he was awake, how am I going to be the best mom I can be? Like, how can I get resources for him? You know, his kindergarten teacher was a godsend. Her name was Pam Samoza. She lost a brother when she was young. You know, it, it's kind of when the world works in weird ways, right? Yeah. Like, how did he get placed in this kindergarten room where his teacher, when was a child, lost her sibling? And and Ethan loved her and would sometimes stay after school and she would just like have him color pictures and they would talk. And there were these experiences that were happening that were helping me. Um, but my number one job really focus was just on, on keeping it together for Ethan. And that sort of meant two things happened. It meant that I kind of came undone when he was in, asleep. You know, like I used to um, get out of bed and Jake had this like beanbag chair and I would sleep most nights in the beanbag chair. It was really being Ethan's mom. And then that was really it, right? Because then I worried, I was like, I need to be careful that I'm not like drinking too much, that I'm not like doing all these other things that would have been really easy to do. So um, it's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope, right? And it just was like, okay, how can I balance this? What I ended up doing was I just started running like 10, 12 miles. Like I would go out because I was like, he was at school and I was like, okay, like, probably shouldn't drink now. So maybe right. I'll go for a run. Like literally that sounds, I think, weird to people, but it's like you just don't know what to do with yourself. I would go on these runs and I came home a couple of times. I was like, Brian, what the hell? There's this like cardinal stalking me. Like I literally was like, no matter, I'm going through the state park. Yeah. There's a cardinal. I'm running through our old neighborhood. There's a cardinal. And it just became this thing. And then I started calling the cardinal Jake. I was like, okay, Jake's following me. And then like a year later, someone's like, you know, that's a thing, right? And I was like, no, I did not know it was a thing. And then they're like, Google it. And why I never, like, it's a thing. That to me was this weird way of where then it gave me this real tangible of like, okay, Jake's here. So now we still, like to this day, like if we see a cardinal, we're like, hey, Jake, what's up? It's also like a wider conversation about those moments of like, okay, now that Ethan's at school, who am I? Yes, <laughs> like, it was what very do do? much back to what we were talking about before where there were like people I didn't necessarily expect, but who really like kind of stepped in. So there was a couple girlfriends of mine who just were like, okay, on Tuesdays, we're going to pick you up and we're going to do this ski lesson in the morning. You skied, you had lunch, and then you came home. It was like this half day thing. Literally, like I just had people who would tell me what to do. Yeah. And, and it was that ability to say, okay, I'm going to do that. So like on Tuesdays, we skied. I I had this balance of like being 150% on as Ethan's mom, but then I just let other people a little bit take over. take the reins. You know, and and there was this one girl again who I was not great friends with. We were like, we had similar friends, but she would show up like one or two mornings a week with like a coffee and be like, we're going to go for a walk now. I'm going to get you out of the house. Previous me would would have kind of been like, no, 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 I'm too busy. I couldn't do that. But in that moment, I really needed those people. So I think for me in those early days, it was like I was Ethan's mom 
And then I sort of just was this person that let myself be taken care of. And it wasn't always easy, but I just didn't have the fight. And in hindsight, I think not fighting those moments really kind of did help. Yeah, because what else were you going to do? Well, because it's like I couldn't see it for myself. And I don't think a lot of people can. Is like I think there's that balance of like sitting in the darkness because I do think that's important because I think avoiding it. You know, it's like when people wanted to medicate me. No, 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 no. Like, you know what I mean? You got to feel your feels. You got to be in it. But you also can't just, you can't be in it forever. Like you have to learn yeah. how to live again. Like I think that was sort of hard for me. Like, you know, it's, it's okay to live. Like just because the significant person in your life is is not living doesn't mean you have to stop living. And I think that still is hard, right? Like it's still hard for us like... We live this life now where we're doing these things and, and how are how are we still doing it? We're still doing it because sometimes we think Jake is with us when we travel. Sometimes we think, you know, I mean, you just have these different things, but yeah. you can't stop living because of what happened, right? And I think that is hard. And it, it, at least for me, it was very much having to tell myself that all the time. You got to you gotta keep, keep at it. <laughs> you really do. And it's almost like just reteaching yourself how to exist. A hundred percent. It really is. because, And I'm still doing that because it's so – it's still so fresh. It's very fresh. And, you know, it's little things like even step outside of my apartment and to go do things with friends and like, okay, I'm going to go out for a drink with my friends. I'm horrified. I just – I don't want to, you know, wind up in that place. And like taking yourself – out of that, it's you have to learn. It's like train yourself. It's like well, and it's like all right. I want to go out with my friends and I want to have a drink and I want to make sure that I'm going to have fun and I'm not going to have three drinks and start crying and be blubber. Yes. Like yes, you know. I mean, especially in those early years, I always felt like I was like one sip away from you know, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, like absolutely losing. Yeah, that. like I'm just sitting there fine, and then I'm like, oh my god, Regis is dead. Like, well, it's great to have friends who are supportive and who know and who are there for you. You also don't want to be that. Like, I don't want to be that. feel horrible. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be the person that like, oh, we're having Heather, you know, is Heather going to be happy or sad? Is Heather going to cry or not? And it's okay to be all of the things, but like you, I You are the elephant in the room. And it's so awkward. It's so awkward. And what you said earlier about guilt and grief, it's like, there's another you know, example of that whenever you want to have fun or do something that is not, you know, obsessing over your person, yep. you feel like, how dare I? Like, no, how it's, dare it's, I do this? I do feel like time makes that better. Yeah. But it never makes it go away, you yeah. know, or, or at least it hasn't yet. Like, because it's not as present of a thought in my head as it used to be. Right. But it's still there. It's there. And like I said, like now I'm like, oh, I haven't gone to the cemetery and, you know, eight days. I'm sorry. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I could almost cry as I say that. Like, like how you know, dare how I? dare I not yeah. do that? Like, how, you know, when did that routine change? Like, and you can just go, you can just go down that rabbit hole so easily still. It's very strange. And like, you know, even birthdays, like getting older is strange. And, and you feel guilty for getting older because here's this person who doesn't get to. And, yeah. and the world is just happening. And you're just, you have to do these things. And it's really... It's really the biggest lesson, I th- or lessons maybe not the right word, but the, just the biggest thing, right? Life goes on. It does. And you want to stop it. You want it to not. You want to freeze time. You want to do all these things, but it, you got no power over it. Like you just... Yeah. That, and that's a huge thing I feel like I learned from grief is I'm a control freak over things that I have no control over. Yeah. And I just need to let go a little bit and just live right now, um, which is way easier said than done it's, it's a yeah. big thing it, it's not an easy thing it's, i have to remind myself like, yeah. constantly like girl get a grip yeah. it's fine live right now you yeah. cannot it's the moment take yeah. it yeah yeah looking you know back 13 years ago if you could be that person that you are now for other people for yourself <laughs> what would that look like it's like multiple levels of me trying to figure out yeah <laughs> um, yeah you know what i would have done for myself i think just give grace right you know i think that when you're the person experiencing it and you know that the world, not the world, that sounds very dramatic, but when you know that everyone around you in your world is kind of watching you, it feels like such pressure. And I think that I would remind myself that even if people are saying the wrong thing, those people in my circle, for the most part, just want to help and they just don't know how. You know what I mean? Like I think with 13 years, that is the, I don't want to say words of wisdom because that is certainly not what it is, but I do think... Where my main shift has happened is that it's 
people say the wrong thing, but they don't mean it. You know what they I mean? Like, really don't. They don't. And and yes, some people are trolls and assholes and they just suck. But the people in your circle, the people who you have trusted to be your good friend, they're not trying to say the wrong thing. They might say right. the wrong thing, but they're not trying it's to. It's not personal in that and sense. And it's not. And, yeah. and I think it's it's still hard. Like I still, some of the people closest to me can hurt me the most, right? That That's the nature of this it's the nature of life, even even not the life of grief, just life, right? Like yeah. those that we let in have the power to really hurt us. I would tell myself to have grace with myself and grace with others. I would definitely say something similar, yeah. and I'm really curious to see how that changes over the years, like the things I would tell myself. I guess the same question goes for Jake. Like what would you say to him? I think the one thing that I have always tried to sort of say to him from the moment that he died was that it was okay. When I would get so dark, and I still, you know, like I always call them my dark days, right? So he died December 8th. At some point, like late November, early December, never know when it is, like I just go dark, you know? And I, and it lasts a few weeks. And Brian and I, like we did with Ethan, but now Ethan was in college, so this was kind of different. But like we get out of town. We like unplug. Like we do whatever it is we do. We give time to just be. Just be, you know? <laughs> yeah. like. I guess I would say to him then and now, like, it's okay, you know? Like, I, I just always worry sometimes that he feels bad that he left us here and that we are still all these years later so impacted by his death. You know, I don't want him to, I don't want him to feel guilt. I don't want him to feel yeah. pressure or sad or, like, he did something anything, wrong. that he did anything yeah. wrong, right? Like, I want him just to, like, love us and be proud of us. I guess I just want him to know how much I really love him still, right? And how sad I am that he's gone, but how grateful I, I really am grateful for, for what he has given me and for the impact he has had on my life. Cause I do feel proud of the work we've done in his honor. And I feel proud of like the person I am. Right. And I think he has a large role in that. I know he does. Like, yeah, I feel like I just have learned so much from you. It's always interesting to talk to other grieving people. Cause oftentimes I kind of feel like we're on the same page, but just having so much time it's really amazing to see, at least for me, I, I hate hearing people like talk about how far I've come and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's really hard because it's like, I don't really want to have this experience yeah. at all. Yeah. But like from one grieving person to another, the impact of like what you're talking about is, it's really inspiring me to keep going and to, yeah. to know that there's some pockets a piece and it's going to be know you're not alone right yeah yeah and there's life there's still life to be lived yeah. even with this so i'm just really grateful for everything that you've said you know i've lived with this for for so long now right it's just since october sort of in, in working here and doing like starting a place of yes and having experiences like this like i love this like it sounds dark best. but i love I love talking about Jake. I love talking grief with you, right? Because it's just, you know, Jake's help from heaven started right after Jake passed. But I can talk about this all day, every day. Literally, I could go on forever. Forever. And just now that I'm, you know, here I am having these opportunities, I'm really grateful for them because I I, yeah. I just love these opportunities because I do think that they're important conversations. You know, I'd like to think that people will listen and that it's helpful. But even if it's not, it's helpful for me. It's so cathartic to just be able to like, get it out of your head because it will spin around in there for it just forever. forever yeah our experiences are different and our ages are different it's still the same thing like we can yes. still sit here we have this common bond right it's this common there's so much overlap yeah. no matter what the situation is like i don't know anyone else who's been through the same situation as me you know other than our friends and yeah. family but i've talked to people with the most random grief situations that are so unrelated and yet we still you have this connection. can talk for yeah. hours yeah no i am um, so I'm, I'm i'm grateful to have been thank you for having me i actually do want you to talk about the podcast oh sure so people can watch it absolutely um, so we are launching on february 29th which is leap of kindness day which yes. in my mind I don't know if it's in anyone else's mind, but in my mind is just such an awesome way to share a place of yes, because what we're trying to do with this podcast is is just tell these stories, right? Yeah. Tell the stories of when you're in your darkest, like, you know, my son died. That is like my darkest moment and how you dig out of that and what you do. And we're just having conversations with people that we have through Jake's Help from Heaven and through like relationships that we have made this 
impact. Yeah. And I love it because I always say, like, we're making the impact, but Jake is making the impact, right? It's what what you do when you're faced with these horrible moments and how can you dig out of it and, and make it better. It's been really important for me, I think, to have these conversations. And some of the moms um, that, have, that I've had conversations with, I'm in touch with, but I hadn't been in touch with in a long time. Some of them, their, their kids are still very sick. Some of them, their kids have since passed. It's a nice reminder that when you put good out in the world, it kind of keeps going, right? You know, and yeah. it's, it's again, sometimes I'm so anti-cliche, yet I feel like sometimes everything I say is one big cliche. Hey, I would say, like, cliches are cliche for, for a reason. reason yeah, because no. they really do what they need to do. And sometimes I, like, roll my eyes at myself like, because oh, I'm girl, like, okay, Heather, again. stop it. Like, you're ridiculous. But that's kind of, you know, so that's this thing, a place of yes. Yeah. Like, you can choose to live in the dark or you can choose to live with the positive and with the good and to try and be the good for other people and place of yes is those stories. I will certainly be a listener. I'm really, really excited. I've seen clips here and there, but I'm really excited to listen to it and to share it with people in my circle because I think it's going to be super impactful. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I, I really appreciate it. No, this. thank you for having me. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of the and also podcast if you are watching this on youtube definitely subscribe give this video a thumbs up and let me know your thoughts in the comments below and if you're listening to this episode on spotify or apple definitely give it a five star rating and add it to your podcast playlist and of course send it to a friend thank you guys again for listening to the episode and thank you so much to heather for sharing your story you guys should 100% check out Heather's podcast that is coming out very soon, A Place of Yes. And of course, also check out Jake's Help from Heaven to support Heather and other families that are facing similar situations. The support is really the main reason why I'm doing this, supporting these people, these families, these stories, and just kind of platforming grief in a, a way that feels really powerful. Thank you guys again for listening and we'll see you next week for another episode of And Also. Music